Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by APT Capital Group, where Kyle and Lalita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, time to get into our show. Today, we have Todd Solzinger here with us. Todd, welcome to the show. How's it going? Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing really well. Great. Well, before we head into the interview, here is a little bit about Todd. Todd is a former Silicon Valley finance executive turned real estate investor. He has a focus on the growing niche of mobile home park investing, as well as mortgage note investing. Todd's company, Blue Elm Investments, has built the expertise to turn neglected mobile home parks into vibrant communities, increasing the availability of safe, clean, and affordable housing for the residents, while offering their investors a strategic way to diversify their portfolios. So, all right, Todd, before we dive into your real estate journey, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Sure. Yes. I spent most of my time, as you said in my introduction, working for a variety of Silicon Valley technology companies in finance after I had a degree from San Jose State University in finance. And during that time, started to invest slowly in real estate myself. And through that process, decided to build a business around doing syndication, real estate syndications in the mobile home park space and made the transition away from working in corporate finance to helping limited partner investors invest in real estate passively. Awesome. Well, tell me more a little bit about why you decided to make that transition and how in more detail you made that transition from a career in corporate finance into real estate investing. Sure. Well, yeah, I had a a great career in finance, got to work with a lot of great companies and great people and travel a lot of places around the world. Over time, I kind of got bored with it. It was kind of like the same routine, closing the books, going through audits, doing budgets year after year. And also there were times where there was a lack of control when you're working for somebody else. I'd be in situations where I'd be working for a great company, possibly go through an IPO, and then they might get acquired by a bigger company and not have the need for two finance departments or be forced to relocate someplace that I didn't want to relocate to. So, you know, as, as, as much of the benefits you might get from working for high-tech companies and the stability of a paycheck coming in through a W-2 job, there is a lack of control when, you know, you, you think things are rolling along really great. And like I said, a company gets acquired and you get laid off and you're in there out there looking for your next uh, opportunity. So I, through a lot of people that I had started to meet and through meetups and listening to podcasts and talking to investors, I decided to want to make a transition into, you know, seeing if I could make a business out of that. And I thought kind of with my passion for real estate, combined with my finance background would be, you know, building a business around putting together syndications and real estate would be a good fit. Yeah. So how did your corporate finance background really benefit you on the real estate business side? Well, you know, a lot of it around the underwriting and understanding the numbers really well. It's interesting, you know, I just, because I spend so much of my time in my, you know, now and also in my corporate career, looking at projections and working with spreadsheets and, and financial modeling, that's just second nature to me because I was building 
financial models. And when I was working in the corporate world for, you know, hundred million dollar companies, thousands of employees, multiple product lines. So kind of scaling that down into underwriting or analyzing real estate was actually, you know, much easier than some of those much more complex uh, corporate financial models. So that's made it something, you know, for me working with spreadsheets and, and numbers is really second nature. So that's been a big benefit. Yeah, I always tell people you can always relate back to, you know, a previous career that can relate or transition over to real estate. Like in my, in also Lolita's kind of background, we're in operations and management. We were from the golf industry. So people don't think golf and real estate really go with one another as far as golf management, but it really does because a lot of the systems, procedures, dealing with people, managing people, holding them accountable really transitions well over managing the asset once you close on the property. So I love that you transitioned over and, and definitely used your previous W-2 career to benefit your real estate career. So how long had you invested in real estate before you decided to change careers? Oh, I started investing in single family homes in the Dallas Fort Worth market back in 2013. And, uh, you know, I was looking to get into real estate. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area where prices are very high and it's a very tenant friendly state. And so the numbers still really make sense here. And uh, I started to go do some local meetups actually through the real estate guys who used to be based here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And at one of their events, they had a Dallas, Texas turnkey provider and they were doing Doing field trips out to that market. So, I mean, that seemed crazy to me to actually buy a property that you couldn't drive by and touch and manage yourself. But I went out to Dallas, started to learn neighborhoods, met providers, insurance companies, brokers, property managers, and talked to a lot of other people doing that and took the plunge and started to buy houses, single family homes in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. And it turned out to be a very doable thing to you know manage a property like that if you have a good team on the ground, even from thousands of miles away. Yep. Talk a little bit about what it was like to leave your W-2 job. You know, I did the same thing. I left it for a full-time career in real estate. What was that like? I think a lot of people, when they first do this, maybe they have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Obviously, they've got a huge fear of, can I really do this? What was it like for you? Well, yeah, I definitely felt some of those things as well. One good thing that I was able to do is when I decided I really wanted to either, you know, you know, kind of put up or shut up in terms of all this you know, education I had done and talking to investors and figure out how to build a business to decide to do it. And fortunately, I was able to go to the employer I was working for at the time and negotiate to cut down to working just four days a week. So I had a little bit of a transition to be able to do that. While it wasn't, you know, really all the time I needed, at least it gave me a full day a week that I could focus on looking at properties and talking to investors that it was really difficult to do when I was working full time and commuting a long distance. So yeah, so I was able to cut back to four days a week. And then I transitioned into doing some other part-time consulting work in the finance field and then was able to leave that job. Yeah. Okay. And how did you decide to build a syndication business around mobile home parks? You said you got started kind of in a turnkey single family homes. How'd you transition and then why syndication? Well, after I started to buy single-family homes, initially with this idea of I'm just going to continue to buy homes, eventually that's going to replace my W-2 income. And after a time, I realized that just wasn't the case. I was going to have to save up twenty, thirty thousand dollars every time I wanted to buy a house, and it was going to take a, a long time to build that up. And then also through the real estate guys, I went to a couple of their secrets of successful syndication training events uh, to really learn about syndication, and that's when I thought I could successfully build a business around. You know, again, kind of combining my 
passion for real estate, you know, understanding of the numbers, as well as having a good base of investors local to where I live that were interested in investing in real estate, but didn't want to do all the, all the hands-on work. Once I made that decision, then it's like, what asset class? So I looked at apartments and self-storage and groups of single family homes, as well as mobile home parks. And through that process, I uh, after, uh, again, doing a lot of research, talking to a lot of people that were in that space, I met a mobile home park consulting company that kind of offered that expertise in terms of negotiation, underwriting, creating a turnaround plan um, that I was able to you know, use their expertise combined with my background to go ahead and dive into the mobile home park business. Okay, awesome. And what are a few of the things a passive investor should know or understand about the biggest differences between mobile home parks and other asset classes? Well, I guess if I compare in some ways mobile home parks to apartments or if you owned a cluster of single family homes where in some cases a mobile home park might own the homes themselves and rent them out like an apartment or the tenants might own their home and the mobile home park rents out the lots. So it's kind of understanding that's you know that difference within a park and sometimes it's 100% one way, sometimes it's 100% the other way and sometimes it's a mix of that park-owned home versus tenant-owned home mix. That's one thing to understand. And then also oftentimes the utility situation is different. You know, most apartments are going to have beyond city utilities in terms of sewer and water in a mobile home park because these were often built on the outskirts of town, maybe in the 50s or 60s. They might have private utilities where they might have septic tanks. They might have a well. They might even have their own waste treatment system. So just kind of understanding those differences and how they might impact the investment, I think, are good for passive investors to understand. Mm -hmm. Why do you not hear more about people buying mobile home parks? Well, you know, I think it's probably from a management standpoint and just really not understanding some of those differences that I talked about. Whereas from a due diligence standpoint, if a park is on its own septic system and the septic system has been maintained well and is working fine, then maybe that's not an issue in the investment. But it does take that extra level of due diligence to maybe dive in and figure out if those, uh, you know, might have some issues down the road. You need to set aside some money from a CapEx standpoint. Also, from a management standpoint, point, it's not as easy to find a good property manager. So apartment property managers or single family home managers aren't just historically as likely to say, yes, I'll go in and and take on your park. So finding good local on-site management, typically an on-site manager or maintenance person who lives in the park is a little bit more difficult to find. So there's just some things about it that are unknowns that scare people off somewhat from investing in mobile home parks. Okay. And so when you say you have to hire like someone on site, are we still talking about a third party property management company or are you really just hiring an individual to manage the park and be boots on the ground? It could be both. So it's ideal really to have somebody who lives in the park just to be able to show tenants homes, collect rent, keep an eye on the park. And then if there's, if it leans more towards a park owned home park where the park owns the home and is responsible for maintenance, then it's great to have an on-site maintenance person to be able to deal with tenant calls as they come up. But that can often be combined with a third party property manager who kind of does the books, a lot of the back end work, and they might manage the on-site manager to make sure they're doing their job well and keeping on top of things. Okay. And so why was it ultimately your decision to go to mobile home parks? I know you found that mentor and who taught you a little bit about it, but what is it over multifamily or single family homes that you really like more in that asset class? 
Yeah, some of the things I like about mobile home parks is they're historically recession resistant. So, you know, in a downturn in the economy, different than what we experienced through COVID-19, but in a lot of situations historically, if you have people in a A-class apartment and, you know, they might move down to a B-class if they're looking to save money and maybe Bs move down to Cs. In the affordable housing space, there's generally been consistent demand just because there's, you know, huge percentage of people in the lower income brackets that need housing. It could be people on fixed income or on disability. So it's typically recession resistant. So that's one of the big benefits. The other thing that's really interesting about the mobile home park space is that it's the only real estate asset class where there's less and less supply in the country every year. There's rarely new parks being built just because of a kind of not my backyard syndrome as well as getting zoning to get approval in, in cities and counties is can be really difficult. So there's very few being built, and then they're oftentimes redeveloped into better use. So I was reading some articles recently about some parks in Tennessee that were being rebuilt into a shopping center. They're often, especially in the in the Bay Area, where real estate prices are high, torn down and you know replaced with multi-story condos or apartments. So there's a decreasing supply in this asset class, which made it attractive. And I think probably lastly too because it's a lot of parks are owned by aging mom and pop owners. There's, you know, probably less sophisticated sellers than you might typically find in apartments. So sometimes that can help from a value add perspective, uh, as well as the ability to oftentimes get seller financing. Yep. Okay. And so how did your portfolio or mobile home parks in general perform during COVID-19? Was there a dip or did you not really see an effect? Well, in our parks, the first parks that I put together with uh, in a syndication were in Georgia, about an hour, hour and a half outside of Atlanta. And we were affected by COVID because we took over the park, started to do some of our cleanup, get some of the less desirable tenants out of the park. And then COVID hit along with the eviction moratorium. So, you know, I was looking for parks that were going to be located in landlord-friendly states. Georgia, was, which is one of those and but when the eviction moratorium hit, you had some people that were legitimately affected by COVID through job loss. Other people were just taking advantage of the situation that they couldn't be evicted and the courts were closed. So we were affected by that and we still are because the eviction moratoriums are still in place. So we're working through that as best we can, working with tenants, working with some local rental assistance agencies that are helping out tenants who have been affected by COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what does your current portfolio look like? Yeah, so I've got uh, 71 spaces in Georgia, a 50-space park in Tennessee, and then a 45-RV park motel unit in California. Okay, and is there a reason why you chose those three markets? Well, yeah, again, Georgia was uh, Georgia and Tennessee were definitely from the starting with landlord-friendly states and looking in the, in the southeast where there's a you know, migration of people moving there. And then I was looking at market by market. I've talked to a lot of when I was looking for my first parks to buy, I was talking to a lot of brokers, some brokers that specialize in mobile home parks, other commercial brokers that often get listings. And then just kind of going market by market, I was looking more in secondary and tertiary markets. And then when I found these parks in Georgia, I looked into that market. It was under the size, uh, under the 100,000 metro size that sometimes other mobile home park buyers are looking for. But when I kind of took that next level deep dive down look into the market, there was a lot going on there in terms of a Walmart and a Lowe's and a couple colleges in town and quite a few different manufacturers. So 
So definitely looking at things from an economic diversity standpoint makes sense. The next parks I bought in Tennessee were in a outside a metro called Jackson, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Big, diverse manufacturing base down there. And then the town that I purchased the park in, Tyson Foods, was in the process of building a $300 million chicken processing facility that was going to bring 1,500 jobs into this market in a market that has very little affordable housing. So from that standpoint, there was a big economic driver that was going to kind of gave myself and my investors confidence that there would be ongoing demand for affordable housing. Okay, great. And tell us a little bit about the book you recently released. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I was really lucky to be part of a collaboration for a book called Success Habits of Super Achievers. So yeah, it's about 80 authors, including Darren Hardy, Les Brown, Dennis Waitley, Phil Collin from Def Leppard, Robert Helms from Real Estate Guys. Um, we all collaborated to share our stories and some of our success habits and tips and tricks. So uh, yeah, so it's called Success Habits of Super Achievers. And we we're fortunate to hit number one on the Amazon bestseller list when it came out and really proud to have been part of that collaboration. Very cool. Congratulations on that. Thank you. All right. Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. All right. All right, Todd, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Well, besides Excel, because that's, you know, I need that to do all my analysis and keep track of a lot of different things. I think one thing that really has saved me a lot of time in the past couple of years has been using Calendly for booking meetings. It's uh, just so great to be able to send out a link to somebody, let them take time to find what works on their schedule and be able to control my schedule. Can you tell us a story about one of your biggest mistakes in real estate investing and what's the main takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes, one of the first investments I made after I opened a self-directed IRA before I really got into buying real estate directly was through a hard money loan to a developer and uh, who was buying, uh, building fourplexes, so borrowing money ahead of time from investors, building the fourplexes, giving a pretty good return on the investment. But he ended up kind of getting in over his heels and ended up filing for bankruptcy. And I ended up losing money on that deal. And looking back at it, I think I would have done a little bit more research on the operator himself. And then also really understanding where my investment dollars were going. I thought they were going all to the builder who was going to take the money and put it right in the condos. But it was actually some of it was used to pay down debt and used to pay legal fees. And again, that money was uh, not used directly towards the investment. So I would definitely look into that more next time. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? I think probably to grow to next level is going to be finding some good partners to work with to start doing bigger deals. I put the first couple of syndications that I put together myself along with the consulting company that I was working with. But I'll be looking to partner up with people to either kind of like, you know, build our own company together or start to scale up and, and do bigger deals. Great. And lastly, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, they can find me information about me on my website, which is my company is Blue Elm Investments. That's blue like the color, elm like the tree investments. So blueelminvestments.com or via email at Todd, T-O-D-D at blueelminvestments.com. 
Perfect. Well, thanks, Todd, for your time today and for being on our show with us. Oh, thanks, Lolita. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.